0: Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. All right, our scripture reading for this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? We'll read the rest of the scripture uh, in a moment here. I'm actually going to jump to this mic. There we go. Uh, we're in uh, scripture, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, and we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in a series called The Upside-Down Kingdom. Uh, last week, we got a chance to talk about treasure, and this, this week, we find ourselves in a conversation about worry. Have you worried about something recently? It feels like the most generic of questions. Let's do a quick show of hands. Have you worried about something recently? Yeah, for, even in a moment like this, I think some of you were worried that you'd be the only one to put your hand up. I was worried that no one was going to put their hands up. <laughs> we, it's a reflex. It feels very familiar to worry about something. In 2016, there was an article in the New York Times about elevators. When you're running late for work, one small comfort that you might have is that you find an empty elevator waiting for you at your office building, and you scurry inside. You make sure that no one else is waiting, and then you jab that closed door button. The doors comply, the elevator starts moving, and you breathe a sigh of relief. This is a really familiar scenario for many of us, but. What this article contends is, actually, it's a big fat lie. That's because most of the door-closed buttons in US elevators don't actually work. In fact, they're programmed that way. Uh, Legislation passed in 1990 created requirements around elevators and, in turn, rendered most closed-door buttons on elevators useless. Instead, the buttons give people an illusion of control. Allowing them to press the button to close the elevator doors when they enter and it's for safety reasons and it's more common in the United States, but in reality, the button acts as a placebo, makes you feel like you have control. I find articles like this or instances like this really interesting because it often speaks to our practice of seeking control, of going after controlling and deeming it necessary that I have control in order for my situation to be best. So whether closing the door of your elevator, whether that button works, maybe that's a placebo, maybe that is an unnecessary piece, but our very human feelings of worry just might be another. I've heard it said that worry pretends to be necessary, but serves no useful purpose. Here's the thing, though. I don't have to convince you that worry is a real thing. It might not be necessary, but it sure seems instinctual. Rising cost of living, atrocities around the world, family issues, work problems. We have plenty that causes us to worry. And here in this text, Jesus speaks to this intimate piece of actually being human. Jesus says, Yesterday is gone, tomorrow has yet to come, but it's hard to live in the present. We worry. The word for worry is derived from this idea of to strangle, to constrict, or to choke. Worry is about something that isn't. It's about something that we fear will be. And it's defined as dwelling on difficulties and troubles, thoughts that often hold us captive. Worrying is part and parcel of our daily life. And here's the thing, a life without worry not only seems impossible, but to a degree it feels undesirable. We're we're skeptical, we're suspicious of a life without worry. Because the absence of worry doesn't seem to bring us peace, instead I'm left worrying why I'm not worrying. And I run this cycle over and over again because it's instinct. It seems second nature. And when I don't have it, I wonder why it's not there. It must be something that's wrong with me. Now, for some of you, you might be hearing this dialogue on worry and the, the need for us not to. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, worry actually can contribute in some good ways in my life. To plan, to prepare, to think ahead. Now, there's two things I want you to t- want to talk to you about That we are not saying that Jesus is saying before we continue in talking about what he is saying. First of all, Jesus is not saying that we're not to plan. Sometimes I hear people talk about this passage and it sounds like they believe that since Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow, that he's saying not to plan anything. But if you look at Jesus' ministry, it is incredibly planned. Planned. It's well thought out. It's put together. And when we look at the New Testament, it says that we're not to enter into a project without counting the cost. Planning is invited. Secondly, there's a difference between the idea of worry and the idea of concern. Jesus isn't saying that we're not to be concerned about good things, about necessary things. He isn't talking about things like anxiety disorders or panic attacks. There are, unfortunately, things in our lives that are physiological issues or caused by traumatic events that cause real impact on how we interact with this idea of worry. This is not what Jesus is talking about. This isn't medical ignorance or burying life's real experiences. This is Jesus talking about what it is to be human. Worry is is fear-driven, while concern is meeting life's difficulties with a sense of responsibility and awareness and wisdom. And in fact, I would say that there's a little bit of a paradoxical nature between the two things, between worry and concern. And we can confuse the two. This is not blissful ignorance. I think it's important to say this. This is not simply saying, don't worry about anything and pretend like everything is okay. In fact, we should be concerned about the things that matter to God and to us and to those that we love. It's normal and healthy to say, I'm concerned about my health, so I'm going to change my diet. I'm concerned about my friends, so I'm going to check in on them. I'm concerned about my children, so I'm going to instruct and discipline. I'm concerned about my debt, so I'm going to commit to a budget. This is, these are good actions that are born out of concern. But that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is trying to call us out to something else. As we talk, I want you to remember this idea. Jesus is calling us out of paralyzing worry, and he's calling us into compassionate concern out of fear-driven decision-making and into kingdom-minded thinking. And it can feel very close together, almost like razor thin. But our experiences on either side are dramatically different. Jesus wants to reframe our point of reference when it comes to worry. And his teaching's brilliance But it's going to feel less helpful if you think that Jesus is tackling matters that he's not. Jesus is taking aim at our thought patterns, at our heart condition. Jesus is talking about worry. Now, the New Testament word for worry is translated by the phrase to take uh, a thought. And it takes this word and it talks about this idea of a divided mind. Worry, it dwells into the future. It looks into the future and it places us there before we're even able to go there. And the problem that we face over and over again is that we find that we can't control every aspect of our future. And so worry perpetuates itself. Jesus really doesn't want us to worry. Verses 25 to 34 in our text, Jesus uses the expression, don't worry three times. So we're going to look at the three things about worry through the words of Jesus and a path out of the worry that holds us. You'll notice at the beginning of the passage, you can pull up verse 25 on the screen for us to look at. It says, therefore. Whenever you see therefore at the beginning of a, of a passage or a beginning of scripture, uh, it is in reference to what has just been said. Last week we talked about treasure. We talked about where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment about worry is tied to this idea of treasure. This idea of idols that we leaned into last week. That the idols that we create can form, can create, can lead us down this path of worry. And Jesus wants to address that. That is not just simply where your treasure is, your heart is also, but where your treasure is, your heart is, and most certainly your worries follow. Jesus isn't trying to isolate the two ideas. He's bringing them together. And the opening question of verse 25, it says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And it feels like a simple question, right? Of course it is. Of course life is more than food and clothes. I know that. You know that. But yet, it's hard to live like that. There's three ideas that we're going to explore. And the first one is that worry is an expert liar. Our response to this opening question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes, is a good example of the way in which we can perpetuate the lie of worry in our life. Though we might say, of course, to this question, How do we lie to ourselves? Well, the voice best equipped to deceive you is your own. Because this is what our worries do. Our worries speak to our being in the exact manner that provokes our insecurities, that stokes our fears, confuses our purpose, weakens our relationships, and harms our health. the lie of our worries seems to know exactly what to say. And it says it over and over and over again. Worry is an expert liar. And even when you pull yourself back and you might look at it and it seems ridiculous, it's still hard to see. Growing up, we had a, a four-story house, and so we had a basement that was undeveloped. And I remember growing up, and I was scared of this basement. I had manufactured this idea in my house that there was this thing living in the basement underneath the furnace, and so anytime I was trying to make my way up the stairs from that, I wouldn't just walk up the stairs to get out of the now dark basement. I would be running up the stairs. I would tell my friends about it. When they would come over, I would make them run up the stairs with me. And it's ridiculous, and it's silly, but it did so many things to me it changed the way I acted in the space it made my heart race it physically I felt it mentally I, I was I was impacted by it and my actions were motivated by it and it might seem ridiculous but we've all got a basement with a monster in it that we would look at and say it's ridiculous but yet it impacts us because worry is an expert liar It knows exactly what to say and how to say it to make us do things that are out of the way, out of line of the way that we want to live. Researchers at Penn State University had participants write down their specific worries for 10 days whenever they noticed that they were worrying. Four times a day, they were prompted by a text message to record any worries from the previous two hours, and they they focused on worries that could be tested. For example, they focused on a worry that was like, I will fail my math exam tomorrow, not that I will develop cancer at some point in my life, not something that could be tracked. Uh, The average person reported three to four testable worries per day, and the result? A whopping 91% of those worries were false alarms. And of the remaining 9% of worries that did come true, the outcome was better than expected. And for about one in four participants, exactly zero of their worries materialized. This finding is what we call worries' deceit. It tells us a lie. And deceit is a good word to describe the nature of worry because it implicitly demands that we pay attention to it as if the threat is real. And in fact, it's nearly always a false alarm. Jesus, in this opening verse, wants us to know that worry is an expert liar and the worries that we often carry do not even come to fruition. Corey Tenboom has this great quote where she says that worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. If you read through this passage, you'll notice that there is a clear direction of our attention. That Jesus is acutely aware of the ways in which worry infiltrates our minds. And it's often through the pathway of my mind being thrown to the future and left there. I would say that it's hard to live in the present. The past and the future, they keep harassing us. The past with guilt, the future with worries. And so many of the things in our lives, they, they, they can feel useful, useless or regretful, or they can make us angry or confused or at least ambivalent. And all these feelings are colored with this idea of guilt or with worry. And we hear that lie over and over and over again. And they they end up pulling us back into the unalterable past. And they push us forward into an unpredictable future. And they remove us from being able and willing to engage in the present. And here's the beautiful thing. God is in your present. This is part of the lie that we're constantly trying to navigate and overcome, even as followers of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself in your faith, we, place, we face this lie that somehow I need to overcome what's in my past in order to, for God to be in my presence. Or I need to prepare myself in the future for God to be, even be present in the, in the moment. We, we don't have a full concept of grace that has actually moved into the way that we live on a day-to-day basis. Instead, we think the grace was for what was or the grace is for what will be instead of grace is for what is. What happens when we start to believe the lies of worry is it begins to circumvent the beauty of the worth that God has in you. It takes that worth away. And it would make it seem like maybe God was there for you once and he'll, make it, he'll be there for you in the time to come. But where you're at, he's not going to show up in the, in the here and now. But Jesus was so for his followers hearing and understanding that God is a God of the present. It attacks our worth. And it makes us believe something that isn't true. If you need to hear this this morning, the worries that you carry that make you feel lesser than, less capable, you feel the physiological impacts of it, you feel the relational impact of it, you feel the impact of even your actions, God is present and able and willing to be present with you in your present worry, in your present space. He's not waiting for you to get it right before he is with you in your struggle. He wasn't just with you once and leaves you to your own devices now. We serve a God that is for you in every moment of your life, including right now. And your worry does not disqualify you. Worry is an expert liar. The second thing is that worry is a bad strategy. Corey Tenboom continued to talk and she said that worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. There's a lot of study that has been gone into the way that worry has impact upon our physical beings. And not just even our physical beings, but our mental beings. A Princeton study showed that a person preoccupied with financial worry sees on average a drop in cognitive function equal to 13 points of IQ. It has a direct impact on our ability to actually deal with something. Because here's the thing, when we are worrying about something, how are we off, why are we often worrying about it? Well, if I worry about it now, maybe I can make it better later. If I worry about it now, maybe I can deal with it better later. Maybe if I, if I think about it all the time right now, I can be more prepared for it later. Concern is different than worry. Concern is preparation. Worry is fear-motivated decision-making. And when fear sits at our, at our core, it doesn't matter what it is or how it impacts us. The, what fear does is it reduces our Humanity. It makes us inward-focused. It makes us so overwhelmed by the thought of what could be that we can't even be present in what is. Worry is a bad strategy for dealing with the future. Worry makes us believe that the best way for me to deal with the future is to take control of everything in my present. And how many of you know that is the worst thing for me to do in any aspect of life? If I want to deal with something in the future... And let's say even within my household, with my family, with with Adriana in particular, if I'm trying to make a decision of what I think is best for my family, is the best decision for me to make every decision on my own? I will tell you no. You don't need to answer that. That is a hard no. to eliminate my wife from the decision-making process, to not include the spirit in my time of prayer, to not think about who is impacted, how it impacts my, my daughter or, or our church, to not think about all those things only does damage to what I desire for the future. Control is an impossibility. And if the strategy is to grab it, you will find it lacking. Worry is a bad strategy. I want you to think of it this way. Uh, there's something called a boomerang, which more, more often than not nowadays is a toy. You throw it and it comes on back. But for our Australians, uh, it wasn't just a, a toy. It was a weapon, if you didn't know. Uh, it was a, a means in which they would throw it out with the intention of hitting something, and if it didn't hit something, it would come right on back. We often treat worry as if it's a weapon. We think to ourselves, well, if I think about it in the future, I'm going to deal with it before it even gets to me. Ha! Huh. <laughs> I figured it out. And we toss our thoughts into the future. And it goes out and it goes out and goes out. But often the case is that the enemy that we think we're trying to deal with is a mirage. So it's not going to hit anything. In fact, that worry is just going to come back and hit us just as hard. It comes back and becomes the very weapon against us that we were hoping was going to be used for us. And we can run with this analogy even more because there's this idea of worry that it's centered around fear. That it's spinning over and over and over again. And how do you often find your worry to be, this is how I often see it for myself, that I get this thought of worry and I go around and then eventually I just find myself back at the beginning. And then I try again, and I go back to the beginning, and I go back to the beginning. And over and over and over, I feel this conversation of worry play around in my head, and it's just a circle. It's just a cycle. It's just, that's the shape that it takes in my life. This statement from Jesus, do not worry, is not Jesus' Bob Marley moment. This is an invitation That the way in which we experience life and the worry that we carry is not the way that he wants to see us flourish. He wants something better for us. And worry is often a barrier that prevents us from stepping into it. In the second part of our, our scripture, you can pull up, I think, verse 27. It talks about... The different ways in which we can think about making our life better. Can you add, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Well, the answer is, is a hard no. <laughs> that the, that the worry actually reduces our, our life capacity, or reduces our, our experience in life. But then it goes on to say in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Some uh, translations will say consider the lilies. Flowers of the field. Consider the lilies. And that language in particular is interesting because lilies in that time period would have been these flowers that popped up in the field and they would come up really quickly and they would fall away really rapidly. They would often be even used within, uh, within fire settings or in different ways within the household. It wasn't something for the longevity of it. It was uh, here, there, and gone tomorrow. Consider the lilies of the field, how we are much the same. How we can be, be similar I came across this idea from an individual by the name of Makoto Fujimara. And he talks more primarily around this idea of kintsugi, this idea of a broken piece of pottery that is put back together with gold being the glue. That it's even more beautiful in its remaking than it was in the beginning. And he talks specifically around Matthew chapter 6 and how there's these three different ideas. Don't worry, And then at the end, you're going to see it says to seek the kingdom. But there's this middle piece of consider the lilies that we don't really like to do. (laughs) That we want to rush past to seek the kingdom. We want to get to that place of I'm doing something, I'm doing something and the world is going to be better. My life is going to be better. My worry is going to be overcome. But yet Jesus is saying very specifically in the middle of this process of don't worry, seek the kingdom, consider the lilies. That this is actually the strategy that I want you to take. Our preaching Our teaching, our living can have an urgency and an edge to it when we don't want to worry. But when we don't consider the lilies, when we don't pause and reflect and look at what's taking place around us, it's often fueled by fear. I don't want to worry because I don't want to feel anxious anymore, so I'm going to seek the kingdom, but I'm going to do things for God, but I don't want to do it, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons because fear is leading the charge. Right information, devoid of observation, lacking empathy, and without poetry, in the the words of Fujimara, is lacking love. We will lack love. Love observes. Love empathizes. Love sings poetry over our lives. We need to love through our fears. Therefore, consider the lilies. The strategy of worry is to work, to strive, to achieve. But the strategy of freedom from worry that is employed by Jesus in the process is to consider him. This is what he's saying over and over again. Look at the things that you're missing when it comes to your food or your clothing or look at the birds in the air or look at the the lilies in the field. Look at all of these different things and see how I provide. He's not saying you need to work hard. He's saying, look, they do nothing (laughs) and I provide. That my provision is the process to overcoming your worry, to leaning into that, to finding rest in that, to fix your eyes upon Jesus, to truly consider who God is. C.S. Lewis says, if you want to understand something, you have to be willing to stand under it. When it comes to our worries, we try to stand over it. We try to intimidate it. We try to get after it. You have nothing on me. And Jesus is saying, no, stand under it and realize it has nothing on who God is. Consider the lilies. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your worry on him. Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Jesus rule. Hear the process that Jesus wants for us. Not to worry, but to consider the lilies and seek the kingdom. We need each piece. So worry is an expert liar. Worry is a bad strategy. And the third thing is worry is a false prophet. In verses uh, 32, I think you can pull up. It says, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's interesting to note that Jesus specifically talked about pagan religions in this moment because pagan religions within that time and culture were characterized by anxiety. It was a fear of a deity who would always need to be appeased. Therefore, fear sat around every corner. If I don't get my life right, God's going to smite me. If I don't say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way, God's going to smite me. And so our actions follow suit. Worry is a false prophet predicting doomsday scenarios at every turn that seldom arrive. This is what worry does within us. You can see it within our culture whenever a, a doomsday scenario seems to be playing out or, or someone is really captured with this idea of the end of the world, how it doesn't just, and it starts with one idea, it doesn't end there though, but it continues into the next thing. Into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. Because it's not the the validity of this scenario that actually perpetuates it, but it's that seed of worry that begins to seep into everything of our life. What is the words of worry that have painted a doomsday scenario in your own story that have seeded every scenario after it? Maybe you felt something really intensely one time and that worry partially came to pass. And now every time you look around you, every time you see around a corner, you're expecting it again. It's overwhelmed us. And that worry ends up becoming this false prophet that we bow to. And the way that we try and deal with it is we try and grab for control. But our version of control is this. It requires us to paint a worst case scenario to ensure that all of our bases are covered. Isn't that how worry works? Well, I want to make sure that everything is okay. So I'm going to make sure that I think of all of the worst possibilities and have it In place and this is what it does it makes our spirituality dysfunctional like we've said it founds our life in fear instead of faith and it begins to create this twisted sense of devoted righteousness and it makes it absent of passionate commitment to outward mercy and personal sacrifice because my worries are the only thing that I'm hearing And our spirituality becomes something so dysfunctional because it's not about others. It's about ourselves. And maybe that works in other faith traditions, but that most certainly is not the way of Jesus. But it happens. Even something like, uh, we better be ready for the rapture instead of living into the idea that the kingdom of God is at hand. So we don't care about anyone else really, but this is just about making sure that I'm not left behind. Worry is a false prophet. Worry looks at the future anticipating bad things. Hope looks at the future anticipating good things. It's a fine line. Worry steals strength from today, and hope allows tomorrow to provide strength for today. Because we look to tomorrow. We see that God is able, God is willing, God is present in that moment, so he's present in this moment. The worry that has a hold in your life, I pray that you might be able to name it this morning. To see it for the lie that it is. The bad strategy that it is. And most definitely the false prophet that it is. And you might be able to say that's not the worry. That's not the mindset. That's not the thought pattern that I want to live my life from. If Jesus has something better for me, I want that. So how do we stop worrying? That's what we kind of end up at, right? How do we stop worrying? Well, Jesus... He talks about the future not being the place we should be. The past, the place we should leave behind. But the present being the space that we're invited to find him. One of the most notable characteristics of worrying is that it fragments our lives. Worship team, you can join me at the front. The many things to do, to think about, to plan for, the many people to remember, to visit or talk to... Worrying causes us to do this. Worrying causes us to be all over the place all the time. And it removes us from the sense of home. Henry Nouwen uses that language that we're seldom at home. He says you will be constantly distracted by your worries. But if you keep going back to the words of prayer, of the prayer, you will gradually discover that your worries become less obsessive. And that you really start to enjoy praying. And as prayer descends from your mind to the center of your being, you will discover its healing power. What he is talking about is that prayer happens in the present. And so one of the ways that we can actually begin to overcome our worry is to bring prayer into the practice of our present moment. And what you're often going to find is this, when we start to live in the present, when we invite God into our present situations, our worries begin to get transformed into prayers. Our worries become something that is not overwhelming us, but equipping us with a thought that we can offer to God. I wonder what thoughts you could be offering to God today. Maybe you're sometimes in that space, you're like, I don't even know what to pray about. What are you worrying about? What is holding your heart in that space of worry? Jesus wants to bring us to a place where we can find home and presence and rest. And his call to live a spiritual life can only be heard when we're willing to honestly confess that we're homeless. That our worrying existence is overwhelmed our very being and we recognize that it's fragmenting our daily lives. Jesus says, do not worry. Set your mind, set your hearts on the kingdom first and all these other things will be given to you. If we we want to be walking into a relationship with Jesus to experience the fullness of the gift of life with him, we're invited to recognize that our mind can do nothing to change the future. That the guilt of the past is meant to be staying in the past. There's a beautiful quote that Jesus takes. All of our past, throws it to the bottom of the ocean and leaves it there. Stop diving for those past mistakes. And live in the present moment. Live in the boat that Jesus is with you. And and be in relationship with him offer all that is on the forefront of your mind to him and know that he's willing and present to be with you in the midst of it. Some people use discipline and activity to distract themselves from the worries that they're carrying and it can have a good impact for a short term season but God wants more than that. Jesus is inviting us into something better than that. He's saying seek first the kingdom of God. What he's inviting us into is this. We are not to have our minds be absent of thought, but to be centered on his thoughts. He's not saying don't think about anything, he's saying actually get your heart reprioritized, recentered, refocused. Set your mind on kingdom things on the way that you can love others, care for your family, be sharing the the heart of Jesus with our world and watch the way that it overwhelms the worry of the moment. Watch the way that it shifts your heart and transforms your soul. As long as we're in this world full of tension and pressure, our minds will never be fully free from worry. But when we keep returning with our hearts and minds to God's loving embrace, we will keep smiling at our own worries themselves. And we might have our eyes and ears open to see the sights of the kingdom taking place around us. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Worry is an expert liar. Worry is a bad strategy. Worry is a false prophet. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace. He's the one who breaks the chains of our bonds in our mind and in our bodies that that would wish for us to live lives that are not flourishing or in relationship or in community. But He asks us to shift the point of gravity in our lives to change our priorities to Him. I wonder this morning, the worries that you might be carrying If you could name them, if you could actually just call them out for what they are and take a a step back, consider the lilies, see the ways in which maybe God has done things in your life in days gone by or brought you here this morning. To remember the way grace found you where you were. I wonder if we could remember how that grace can find us where we're at that our worry doesn't have to have the final word. Where worry would deny our worth, Jesus would invite us to find hope. Where worry would want us to waste all the good things in our lives, Jesus wants us to consider all that is good. And where worry would want us to live in tomorrow, Jesus invites us to be living in the present. Don't drag tomorrow's troubles into today. That's what Jesus is saying. Find rest in me now, and I'll be with you tomorrow as well. Could you bow your heads with me as we pray? If you feel lost in the future, if your mind is caught up in a sense of worry, my invitation even in this moment is, would you come back to the present? Jesus is cautioning us that if we're taking tomorrow's problems without tomorrow's grace, we will feel overwhelmed. We're not meant to have strength for challenges that we're not in yet. God gives us the strength for today, the grace for today, the hope for today, and he'll give us those grace, that grace for tomorrow when we get there, but we're not there yet. So worry, you have no place in our hearts. And if you're worried about the unknown, I wonder if this morning you might just be reminded that you're seen and you are known by God. That He sees your struggle. He sees your worry. He sees your pain. And He wants you to find rest. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts this morning that you would begin to rehabilitate our priorities, our our focus, our attention, that where our treasure is has become lost and our hearts have become lost along the way. Every day we need to see our minds renewed and our hearts redeemed. So we ask that you would give us your grace fresh each morning and fresh right now, unconditional love that we have done nothing to deserve that you, but you give it freely to free us each and every day to free us in this moment you don't have to be held down by those thoughts and those fears we pray for miracles where worry has become habitual instinctual and normalized we pray Holy Spirit would you just renew and transform where worry sits into places of hope that people around us might notice? Their, their language has changed. Their demeanor has changed. Mental capacity, physical functioning, all the ways that worry would, would wish to do us harm and do us wrong, may hope find us, take root, and bring forth new life. return to prayer today so that we can be in relationship with you in jesus name amen. amen thank you for listening to today's message we hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our lord jesus christ to keep up with city collective make sure to check us out on instagram and facebook at city collective church have a great week